Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. All right. And if you have kids with you, Juliet is who is going to go hang out with your kids. So thank you, Juliet. And uh, the kids' room is back by the front door. You're welcome to send uh, kids back with her if you'd like, or they can stay with you. Uh, we are we're in a in a new series as we mentioned last week, second second week of it, uh, the compelling community. We're looking at the book of First Peter to examine kind of what the church could look like and should look like, uh, according to Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples. And as we prepare our hearts for this, uh, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, and Danielle is going to lead us through that. Would you pray with me? Um, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we praise your name that you are set apart and holy, that you are above all things, and that nothing is outside your control. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your kingdom come quickly. Will you incline our hearts to long for this and for your will above ours? Praise your name that we have a hope in belonging to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would we not forget the kingdom we first belong to, and would it shape the way we move out into the world around us? Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we pray that you and only you will sustain us. Will you be what we long for in seasons when we find ourselves in the wilderness? Will discernment and comfort grow in your presence and not in our circumstances? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, forgive us for longing for things apart from you. Forgive us for the ways we distract ourselves with things that don't lead to life, the things that we have placed above you in our hearts. Lord, would we remember the way you love us and be people that take the initiative to love, forgive, and move forward in kindness when we are provoked to anger. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, please protect us from the schemes of the enemy and keep us in the light of your protecting love. Thank you that you have been that you have delivered us from the greatest enemy of our souls through the death of your son. Would we be a people that runs in the wake of the victor who has already won? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Um, I'm learning something from our little social experiment of trying tables last week only and then switching to some tables, and that is that most of you are scared of tables. If you're scared of tables, I don't know, you're probably scared of a lot of other things too. You guys aren't. You're not afraid of a table. Just because it has four legs and you have two, you're not scared of it, and I appreciate that. So, all right, by way of reminder, in case you weren't able to join us last week, like I said, week two of Compelling Community, casting a vision of what the church should be like by walking through the book of 1 Peter. And last year, uh, last, <laughs> last year, last week, we observed that the church should be a hopeful place um, and a joyful place, not because it doesn't have trials or grief or suffering. In fact, the church should expect, because of its identification with Jesus, to have all of those things, but that identification with Jesus would supersede all of those things and would actually provide 
the joy and the hope that could overwhelm any trials and suffering that we might go through. And so these uh, words that Juliet read to us come on the heels of, of that assertion at the beginning of the book. And I wanna draw out a couple things from these words that show how we should be a compelling community. And these can be kind of, this could sound a little buzzwordy um, in Christian circles, but I hope, there, I hope you see there's just a lot of practicality to it. And that's the centrality of the gospel um, and the, or in just the centrality of the gospel in the church and the centrality of the gospel in the ministry of the church, that, that the gospel would shape the church itself and our work, our ministry. So what do I mean by that? Um, I'm gonna get into it. These are gonna be shorter sermons and um, that's hard for me to do, uh, but I think this one's actually gonna be shorter. I, I really do. And I want you to think about these things and then there's questions at the end. You can choose to sit at these tables and unpack those questions or you can just uh, be thinking about it um, alone. But I hope you sort of take what is agitated in you as we think about this and follow up on it and think about it more yourself. I want, I want you to be digging into this yourself. So what do I mean by gospel uh, centrality? A major misconception about Christianity is that it was kind of a reinvention or uh, transformation of Judaism that the disciples uh, looked at their Judeo uh, you know, roots and said, you know, that, that, was, that was interesting. We like some of it, but we want to create something new and something different. And, uh, and we want to, um, you know, take either the pattern of Jesus or the myth of Jesus and create a new religion around it. But, but Peter, who wrote this book, clearly didn't see this as the case. He didn't see this as a new uh, invention or anything of that nature. He saw this, uh, the work of Jesus, that he had experienced, that he'd seen, as having continuity with everything that the scriptures had promised before. And so as you heard read, uh, Peter said, concerning this salvation, which is what Jesus Christ had come and done in the world, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. So here Peter is talking about the prophets and the, the idea of a prophet is a person who declared the words and the will of God. Um, and this is essentially the, the bulk of the writers of the Old Testament. Um, they had to be acknowledged as prophets to some degree. They weren't always popular, um, but their, their writings were confirmed. They were confirmed by their accuracy and their acceptance as speaking truly the word of God and words that aligned with the other revelations of God and they, they came true. And in fact, their lives were on the line. If they, if they spoke things that weren't true and didn't have continuity, um, God demanded that their life be taken for misrepresenting him. He took it very seriously. And many people were considered prophets uh, in, the, in ancient Israel, as I said. But I mean, we, we tend to think there's books that are categorized as books by prophets in your Bible, and you might be familiar with those. And so there's Isaiah and Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Joel, people who are named as prophets. But others who were viewed as prophets as well were people like Moses, who wrote the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and King David, who wrote Psalms. 
and, and who, you know, First and Second Samuel is, you know, there's a lot of him in there. So these people who are considered prophets were all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And here Peter is saying they were, they were inquiring deeply into how the Spirit was speaking about Jesus. This means that this idea and what Jesus came to do, the, the grace that Jesus brought was not, was not new. It was something that permeated that time that they were looking for. There's a book I've been reading. Um, it's called Look to the Rock. It's, it's kind of a, a well-known uh, book about the significance of Christ being seen in the, in the Old Testament. And he just works out, Alec Matir is the writer, and he just works out over and over the, the times where you see that Christ came in and exactly uh, finished, perfected um, the work that was shown to us in the Old Testament, and even that the Old Testament was utterly gracious. Uh, he talks about something that, that I had seen, and it was just fun to see it worked out, that actually the people of Israel, when they were leaving um, their slavery in Egypt, right? They, they are delivered from slavery. God passes over uh, their, their sins, if you will, because there's the, the plagues that come upon Egypt, and they experience many of those themselves to some degree, um, and, or they were affected by them. But then there's the plague of the firstborn and the death of the firstborns, but the, the Israelite people had to put the blood of an innocent lamb above their doorposts, and this is significant. Uh, they're, they're being passed over had to do only with a sacrifice that was made for them. And then they were delivered um, out, out of Egypt and they were passed through the Red Sea by, by a miracle that couldn't be explained by any other, um, any, anything else than God's activity in their lives. And then they enter into the wilderness and they approach Mount Sinai and they're given a law. And Alec Matir said, it's just so evident that the law that they were given is not what had delivered them, but that they were given the law because they were a people who'd already been delivered by grace. And the law was to govern over them as people who knew and saw and understood the grace of God. The law is something that people who've been given grace use to please the Lord. And nothing changes in the New Testament. All the, the deliverance of Christ parallels that that deliverance in many ways. And then the law comes to us as Christians as a way to please him. Other examples would be predictions like things that were spoken to the prophet Isaiah. These are some of the most familiar in the world. There, there's a group of songs called the Servant Songs in Isaiah. And the last one is the most detailed, and we read it, and we, we today can, can look at it and go, wow, I see Jesus in there. Here's what the last servant song says. Who's believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we look back and we, we 
you know, in light of what we've seen in Jesus, can say, ah, I see Jesus in there. But the other incredible thing is that the people who read the Old Testament were expecting that this chastisement, this punishment that would bring peace would be upon someone else, that our iniquities, uh, the perversions of our hearts, that's what iniquity is, would be laid upon somebody else. And so what does this mean? It means that the good news of a gracious God wasn't an invention. It was good news looking forward to something for thousands of years before Jesus, and now we look back and we we can connect the dots. Um, It isn't a new gospel, and gospel in Greek meaning good news. It isn't new. It's like an expansion of the same gospel, just a clarifier, a, a maturity of the same gospel. So when I say the gospel is central, I don't just mean like it should be your favorite thing. I mean, it's, it's what the Bible is all about. It's at the absolute center, this good news that, that there's a gracious God has always been the good news of the Bible. Now, I mentioned last week, this, this doesn't mean that all the other stuff in the Bible, the things that the law says don't matter, because in order to understand the graciousness of God, you need to understand something about what you deserve yourself and what the alternatives of the, the world around you are, and they are not gracious. Um, they are not gracious at all. Even our own appraisal of ourselves is often not gracious. And so we need to see the law. We need to see the law that we feel you know, in our own souls that condemns us. We need to see God's standard. We need to see that to understand what grace is. And then grace comes along and gives us a transformed relationship toward God, a transformed heart that says, I want to please him. We need to understand this. Our, our culture, um, I mean, I was just thinking about it this week. We just, we don't know when to accept, when to condemn, how to transform somebody who has been broken, who has failed. Um, we, as, we as a culture are just flailing. We don't want to not hold people accountable, but we want to give people individual freedoms and and rights, and we just can't figure this out. We as people need these these twin ideas of grace and law, but grace is the thing that transforms our hearts. So when I talk about gospel centrality, that's what I'm saying, that this good news that grace, transforming grace is at the heart of the Bible is, is something we need to know as a church. And, it's, and it really is a compelling thing to take out to the world, to, to live by, um, and to be able to put on display, and to be able to suggest uh, to our friends and family. And that leads to gospel ministry. Gospel ministry, I'm not talking about what I'm doing right now. I'm not talking about what our elders would do, or what organizations like our church would do, or our greater, you know, the, the church organizations we work with, or anything like that. I'm talking about what people who believe a go- the gospel do when they love and serve other people. That's, that's what I mean. We have a little, a little kind of mission statement that, I mean, it's out on our sign, it's on the website, we talk about it sometimes, and that's broken people. Um, and that's where we are, there's a, recogn- a recognition that there's a standard that we fall short of. Uh, given grace, and that's a recognition that grace is a gift from God and then serving others. And the order of that is really important um, because that reception of grace enables us to go out and serve others in a certain way. 
Now, concerning this scripture, this, this may not be a line of thought you've heard before, but just try this out with me for a second. If you've been around this church very long, you've heard me quote the last line of this section of Peter. It's one that actually intrigues me a ton. Um, I've thought about it many, many times. It's a, it's a rabbit hole I've gone down of, of trying to think this through. But this last section that says, the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I, I find that little line right there really intriguing. I'm so, I would love to talk to Peter about it, right, and understand it. And so when you think angel, we all have different thoughts that come to mind, but these are, these are messengers from God sent to do his will. They are powerful. They are eternal. Um, they are not, you know, puffy little happy things on clouds ever in the Bible, but, you know, those are cute. But these are, these are eternal beings in the presence of God. They look upon the face of God. That's incredible. And, um, and I don't know what it's like to be one. But ask this question, what would an angelic being who exists in the presence of God eternally wish that they could see, experience, and understand? What would they say, I long to look at that. I wish I could experience that. What would it be? And Peter here seems to be saying that it's, it's grace. It's grace that they can't taste themselves, that they can only look at and wish they could understand. And I have thoughts on why that may be, and they go outside of what the Bible explains. You know, the Bible doesn't work that out exactly. But rather than taking that line of thought for a second, I want to go in the opposite direction and ask the question, what does not impress the angelic beings? What do they never look at that we experience and say, wow, that's incredible. What, what doesn't blow their minds, right? Um, or another way of framing it, what type of things do we consider good news that the heavenly beings do not? And what could we learn from that? There's probably a lot of answers to this question, but just try this one on for size. Um, the angels look down and go, their party is back in control of the government. You know? Do they get pumped about this? Hmm? You know? Why wouldn't they? We get very excited about it, right? And I'm leaving that party open for you to choose, right? Whichever one it is for you. Or what about they successfully won their argument? You know, the angelic hosts look down and they see one of us and you gave the ultimate defeater on Twitter, right? And no one could answer you back and the angels are like, what? They don't. And why not? Why wouldn't they? And when I say these things, I really want you know, myself to hear this because it's easy to look at other people and think of, of the political version or the having to be right version of the people I disagree with and say, oh yeah, I wish they would see how stupid that is. But I also am always shifting my hope into these things, I really do. So then, if, I, if my ministry made it of utmost importance to get, say, my political party back in, in control or to prove that all other opinions other than mine were false, 
would I be in the opinion of spiritual beings exercising power or being effective? What if the angelic beings know what really has power, what's really transformative, what's really impactful, what they wish they could not only know about but feel applied to themselves? What would that be? Peter says, it's grace, the good news of grace. Somehow these perfect beings, fully aware of the perfections of God, cannot be objects of grace or mercy or compassion. But we, men and women, veiled from seeing the face of God, fallen and flawed, we get to taste it. What a privilege. So what does that mean for our work in the world, our posture, our ministry? It means that it is most powerful when it looks like the grace of Jesus. That's when it's most potent. That's what I mean by gospel-shaped ministry. Here's some adjectives, but, I, but I, even as I thought of these, I thought these aren't well-rounded enough. But humble. Jesus comes, he's the most powerful being in the universe. That, that doesn't cease to exist, but, but he humbles himself. Um, sacrificial. Now, I've preached before, Jesus will not be walked on. He's not a doormat. But he comes laying down his life for the sheep, for you, for me. Um, hopeful. Jesus is not unaware of the eternal state or judgment. In fact, we place so much of our hope in judgment. I mean, for all of you, we've talked about this before. If you've been abused, if you've been traumatized, it's, it's good news to know that Jesus doesn't just go like, I forgive everybody, it's no problem. That's not good news. He doesn't do that. But there's also deep hope in him for transformation that he offers out to, to anybody, the vilest criminal. Um, patient. Jesus is incredibly patient. I mean, just look at his life on earth, the three years. Like, there wasn't one person who Jesus walked with on a daily basis where he just said, now you understand me, right? Zero. He's very patient. But he also is proactive and involved. But, but these key elements, these gracious elements, giving us what we don't deserve, his humility, his sacrifice, his hope that he instills in us, his patience. We don't deserve these things, but he gave them. He freely offered them at a great cost. So we have to think, for, for those of us who've heard this good news and have been transformed at, uh, by it, what had power? I, you know, I can't get into your head or your stories, so I'll, I'll offer you mine. But I'll tell you what, I've never heard one, I've never heard a, a, a a person who loved grace say to me, you know what? I knew I was a piece of, piece of junk, and one day I just felt it full force, and I said, thanks for that, God. I love you. <laughs> right? Never. I've never heard that. I've heard people say I felt like a piece of trash, but that next line, it, it, something, something changes. It goes, and I realized God was still present. And I went, how could you love somebody like me? Now, it's grace, right? It's always grace. For me, um, you know, I had, I, and I've told you some of this story, I was 
I had, a, I had this profound moment when I was 17 years old, and I was becoming increasingly depressed. Um, relationships weren't working out. Um, the, you know, in my church, uh, I was, I was trying to trying to have a girlfriend. Things were just not happening, and um, I was on a youth retreat, and there was a lot going on inside of me. Um, I knew I knew some things about myself. I knew some dark truth about myself. It wasn't wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. And also, I was feeling this deep rejection, and I was the kind of guy where I looked in the mirror, but I felt weird about it, but I, but I looked, and I was just like, I see pimples, big ears, and a lot of ugly. And that was my experience, looking in the mirror. And I thought, I'm not a very good person. I, nobody likes me. And I had this thought, if I died, nobody would care. And, and I started to think maybe they'd even be happier, because um, I'm just weird and confusing, and I'm just weird to be around. And I was at this youth conference, and my buddy and I were watching Boys in the Hood, um, which is what a lot of kids probably do at youth conferences, right? I don't know. We were in the hotel at night, and that was on. And um, for some reason, I'm sitting there, and I thought, this is when, like, this is bad. These thoughts I'm having aren't good. Like, I'm in trouble. This is when people hurt themselves. You know, it hit me. And so I'm kind of, you know, open to help. And the next day, a, a speaker at this youth event told, me, told a story of being a, a messed up, confused kid with issues and, and that he discovered that, that there was, that God, not only God existed, but that God loved him enough to accept him and change him as he was. I've heard this thousands of times. I'd heard this thousands of times. But he kind of turned around and said, the same, it's true for you. The same is true for you. And all of a sudden it, I, I was hit with that reality that, like, I don't even think I'm good enough to live, but if God wants me around and would, would take in even me and work with somebody like me, like, this is, this is worth a try. I think I was, uh, this is worth a try. And that week, it was funny, this week my, my mother um, referenced this week of my life, back when I was 17, that this is when things changed for me. When, when I realized there could be hope. God, would want, God wants me around. When God sees me, he doesn't see ugly and annoying. He wants me around. When God looks at me, he, just doesn't, he doesn't just see the, the stupid stuff I've done, the terrible stuff I've done. He sees someone he loves. He sees his son who he died for, right? And if a God could forgive somebody who is that flawed like me, um, if, he could, if he could be that loving, then maybe I could give him myself. I mean, it's simple, simple, but it's grace. It's grace. And the, and the thing that sealed it was that not only did he say it, not only did God say this, but that he, he entered in and he died. Because, you know, what was I thinking I, I might deserve to die? Right? Now, I think when angels look at that realization, when the, when the angelic host saw that click in my, in my heart, that love, that power, that mercy, that tenderness, that gentleness, that patience, that's when they said, Wow, you know, what is that? They can't experience that. 
That's power. It was power for me. It, it changed everything. So when I'm offering gospel ministry, um, it's when I'm offering to others what God gave me right there. Being patient. Loving others. Showing them, I want you around even when you're unlovable. I want you around even when it's not pretty. Um, it's offering, offering what Jesus gave to me. That's gospel ministry. That's power. That's spiritual power. And it is so hard to do. You'll see, like, throughout the history of the church, I mean, I see even in, in, in my heart constantly, like, that slip from that method of doing ministry. And by ministry, remember, I just mean how we, how we take the gospel out, how we live with others. Because all the powers of hell oppose grace and fight against it. They're always pushing us back to the other way, the way of being right, the way of getting back into positions where we can make sure everything is safe for us. And we'll do all sorts of things. We're, we'll sacrifice all sorts of principles to make sure that happens. And so we don't offer grace. And that's why the Christian church for thousands of years, yes, they've, they've sung and recited the 100th Psalm, but they always approach a table of a crucified Savior over and over. And that's why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, began his journey to the cross by taking bread and broke it. And what did he say? Remember, they didn't know what this meant. This is my body broken for you. Right? Every time, every time you eat it, remember me. Because it's hard to remember. And he takes, he takes the cup. This is my blood. Blood of a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of many. Every time you drink this, remember me. And he said, I'll, I'll drink it anew with you someday in my kingdom. Which means you're welcome in. You're invited in. If, if my blood's covered you over, nothing can keep you away from me. And that's what we're offering out to other people. If his blood has been covered over you, if it's poured over you, it's going to change you. It's going to transform you. But nothing can, can take you out of his hands. These two things illustrate that grace, that transforming grace and sacrificial love. It's where we, where we return. And when we, when we walk away from this table, it's the ministry we take out the door. It's transforming grace. I'm going to pray for, for two minutes, or I'm going to pray silently, and there's going to be two minutes of silence in just a bit, time to think about these things. Um, and then you're welcome to come up and receive the Lord's Supper. Mike's going to be up here leading us in some songs. Um, after that, it's dinner time for us. Um, we have giving in the back, as we always do. But as you gather for dinner, I want you to think about some of these questions, okay? Um, or just take these with you uh, into your week. Um, Zach and I had a little conversation in my kitchen as he was doing his laundry um, about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, uh, and I started watching, you know, I watched, I always come back to the Iron Giant. I watched it last night because, uh, you know, Michaela, Kelly, Danielle, and Sandra were all off at the TGC Women's Conference. And I had to pick them up late, so I got some Iron Giant. And some of these, some of these stories in our culture, they are filled with what feels like beautiful allusions to grace. I always see it in the Iron Giant. Um, I see this, this being who comes who is just assaulted 
um, who we want to kill, who we don't realize is better than us, who then goes up and takes the weapon that was pointed at him, um, and he takes the, the blow so that we can live, and then he comes back to life. What, why is it that stories like that ring so true in our hearts, right? So I want you to think, what is it in your life experience, even if you haven't connected it to Jesus yet, what, what story of grace have you seen that, that just inspires you, right? Um, or a movie in which a grace-shaped act had power in someone's life. Um, just try to, try to conjure up one of those. There's something about it, um, about thinking about those stories that's just inspiring. Um, how, have you, how have you felt or heard the good news of grace? Um, in what ways is grace hard for you to believe? I think for all of us, there are a number of reasons why that's so. Um, and is there someone or somewhere in which you know you need to apply gospel-shaped ministry? So you can talk about that with somebody later or right here. I think thinking through these things, I just wanna, I wanna get your mind going um, and thinking about how we can apply these things to our own hearts and take them out to others. So let me pray and then we'll uh, sing together and the Lord's table, table is open to you. Father, thank you for, thank you for these people. Thank you for good news. Thank you for grace. Um, I know many of the stories in this room, and I know that you have been very generous to us with your mercy, with your transforming love. And I ask that you would remind us of our own stories, inspire us to love grace more, um, embolden us to use our most powerful resource and to be humble, gentle, patient, kind and servant-like. As we come before you, God, if we need to lay anything down, repent of anything, um, if we've been operating on something um, or around something that isn't grace, show us, and, and may we trust you enough to tell you about it because you're so merciful. Um, I pray that you would awaken a longing to understand grace for anyone who doesn't feel it right now. Use this time as we pray and work in our hearts.